Welcome to Indonesia Digital Deconstructed, where we break apart and dive deep into the different parts of the Indonesian tech scene to get an insider's look into how each space is evolving. Leveraging off our research, proprietary insights, and working with leading entrepreneurs, we'll bring you the insider's view of the industry as we navigate our way around one of the world's fastest growing tech scenes. I'm Adrian Lee, your host and managing partner in AC Ventures. Today, we go into our fifth episode and do a deep dive into the importance of the best environmental, social and governance, or ESG, practices as they relate to startup investing worldwide, but specifically in Southeast Asia. Increasingly, venture capital firms are seeing an imperative from the global community of industry stakeholders to make sure their portfolios adhere to a higher standard of ethics. In places like Indonesia, this is a relatively new paradigm but it is a clear sign that more institutional capital from overseas is seeking inroads into the local market. Large multinational companies increasingly need to satisfy ESG requirements in their home countries, and the same can be said about how they deploy capital overseas. In this episode, we uncover how Indonesia-based startups and venture capital firms alike can ensure that they are following best ESG practices and creating an ecosystem that is more inclusive and responsible for generations to come. Today, we are excited to be joined by Lauren Blasco. She's the head of ESG at AC Ventures, and industry players will recognize her as the former director of sustainability at Potato Head Group. Her track record includes senior positions such as executive director at Clean the World, guest lecturer at the National University of Singapore, adjunct professor at the University of Hong Kong, and more. Lauren Blasco, welcome to the show. So Lauren, before we start, let's take a look at your 10 plus years of experience in the ESG world and what it's meant for large companies that aim to transform their operations at large. But to begin, could you share with us how your life and career led you to focus on ESG? Yes. um, As a child, I was very much interested in environmental uh, recycling, waste, etc. So when I had my first job in private equity, I had the opportunity to work in the hospitality space and sustainability was just starting to enter into the infrastructure side. So that's kind of what was the beginning of my career in ESG and impact. So when you worked in, uh, you know, when you worked at private equity, you, you obviously looked at a number of uh, large enterprises. You know, could you try and uh, tell the audience a bit about how you uh, saw the pain points that they faced, in particular with regards to ESG and sustainability? I think the pain points that large enterprise or enterprises were facing is dependent on what type of industry. But um, if we just look at the markets in, in Asia, I think each country has different issues with Indonesia, especially having waste issues, focusing on circularity, looking at infrastructure for buildings, materials, etc. So I think that one of the main components is looking at what industry we're focusing on and then kind of backtracking into the pain points that surface from those industries. And you you mentioned that as a child, you had a lot of passion for sustainability. Um, what helped you make that transition from finance and private equity to then actually moving into a full-time role in sustainability with the Potato Head Group? Yes, I, I did have a passion as a child. I, it was always very fascinating to me, especially around ocean and different plastic waste streams. 
And working in hospitality, I had the opportunity to see a lot of different areas because the hospitality industry is quite wasteful. And then moving from the US to Asia, it bigger issues surfaced on waste streams. So working in places like Hong Kong and Singapore with limitations on landfills, the hospitality space was a big contributor to these waste streams. So working with different hospitality groups and working with different governmental bodies to come up with solutions on how to mitigate some of this waste kind of drove the passion and and showed me that there is a a real opportunity within this ESG space, especially depending on on, on the different uh, areas of industry focus. Thanks for sharing that. And, you know, the Potato Head group is uh, just really, it's a fantastic hospitality group and a lot of the, they were forward thinking in their design and in the lifestyle concepts that they had, you know, created uh, years ago and, you know, still are at the forefront when it comes to sustainability. Tell us a bit about what attracted you to work with this group out of all the opportunities that you must have had uh, coming out of finance. I think what was most attractive for me is when I first moved to Bali, I was working on a lot of projects around the region, but none in Indonesia. And I had the opportunity to meet with with Ronald and he shared his passion of sustainability, kind of bridging the gap between sustainability and art and design. And it really piqued my interest because it's a really unique way to engage a, a, a wider audience. So being on the forefront, especially within hospitality and in Indonesia and making a movement around sustainability, how it can be cool or it it can be accessible and it's based around little decisions that we all can control in our everyday life make a big difference. And the philosophy of that was just very, very interesting and how you can reach a very, very large audience with the philosophy that makes it very accessible to everybody. And, you know, Bali you know, being the amazing paradise beach island that it is, you know, on the flip side, it's this amazing place that attracts so many tourists, but there are consequences and costs with that too. I think I've read about plastics waste uh, and the uh, issues that that causes, you know, the pollution on the beach and so on. You know, I've read about it in papers, seen it uh, documentary on TV as well. You know, how did these types of issues manifest themselves as challenges to the Potato Head group? And, you know, how did you uh, steward the company in addressing them and, you know, looking at problems that face the company specifically, but also helping to solve the problem more broadly? Yeah. So I think that the big issue probably that we've all seen and that we're all referring to is is plastic waste that washes up on the shores at, at specific times during the year. So clearly being a hotel right on the beach that that creates a lot of issues for guests um, as well for staff. So coming to Bali, you envision being in paradise. You don't envision sitting on uh, on a chair overlooking the beach full of waste around you. So I think there's 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 twofold, right? So it's educating our, ourselves and our staff and our government around the waste streams that are coming in and where they're coming from. So are they coming from the ocean up? Are they coming from the rivers down? The answer is they're coming from both. So working internally at Potato Head Group, we came up with a solution that we were going to be single-use plastic-free. So this was a philosophy that we were going to use across all different channels of operations. So whether that be housekeeping or food, or even with our staff, if they were going to bring food or water into the the hotel um, for their daily shift, it had to be 
something without single-use plastic. We had the same philosophy for our guests. So if a guest was entering to go to the beach club and they had a water bottle, um, we collected that at security and we gave them a token where they can get a glass bottle of water inside. And this is a touch point for us with guests, but this was also a touch point for us with our staff. Potato Head has a very large staff. Pre-COVID, they had 1,600 staff in Bali. So this is a really unique platform to be able to educate a, a wider audience that are doing something daily at work, which hopefully changes their habits at home. Also with this, we were able to work with all of our different vendors on the philosophy that we had of no single-use plastic entering the DESA. So working with the vendors on how we can get to the point because a lot of laundry, food, et cetera, are all wrapped in plastic. So how, how could we come up with solutions? And also working with our waste collector. So separating our waste in different waste streams and working with our waste collector on what do they do with that waste and how valuable is that waste? Because a philosophy of Potato Head was to get to a, a zero waste to landfill uh, within a specific time frame. So how many steps did we need to take? Who did we need to partner and work with? And there was a lot of education and socialization of the philosophy behind what we were trying to accomplish. Thanks so much, Lauren. And I, you know, I think that you know, Potato Head, you know, even being based all the way out in Bali, is probably still at the forefront of some of these initiatives uh, in sustainability. Uh, thanks to the work that you did there. But I'm also curious, you know, having come from a finance background, in particular in private equity, you know, how did that type of financial and metric training translate to how you measured the impact of these initiatives, either to Potato Head or more broadly, you know, to you know, the impact of the initiatives that you had taken to reduce waste? Yeah, I think having a finance background can help no matter what industry you work in. And being able to quantify data, whether that's numbers based off of revenue or, or quantified data based on waste separation, I think that the skill set behind any type of measurement system or data collection to then produce outcomes of impact or different assumptions that you're making off of an investment, I think the background is exactly the same. You're, you're measuring data and how you quantify that data is the output. And you know, maybe that played a role, you know, later in you thinking about how you could apply the experience that you had at Potato Head and also, you know, with the finance training, you know, into moving into a investing role. So perhaps you could talk a bit about what attracted you to come and work with a venture firm um, or get exposure to the technology space as your next step in your career. Yeah. So Working for Potato Head or working for an individual company, you're able to accomplish a, a certain amount of impact. Working for a, a fund such as AC Ventures, it allows you to work with a, a variety of portfolio companies. So at the end of the day, if my job is focused on impact, if I work for one company or I'm able to work with 100 companies, the impact that I'm having is much greater. And I, I think if we focus on the tech space, I think that one of the really interesting components of impact and, and tech is that most tech companies have an underlining undertone of impact kind of baked into the philosophy of their businesses. Thanks. And, and you know, certainly you know, with what we do and where we invest, a lot of the companies that we invest into inherently have a lot of good coming out of it uh, in terms of impact and in terms of the United Nations SDGs. But you know, without 
the right measurements and also the right ways of strategic implementation. You know, it's not often core to how they're doing business. It's kind of an externality of how they're doing business. So you know, I remember we were having some of our early chats. What was so exciting was be able to marry uh, that kind of financial training that you had and the metrics that uh, you had a lot of ideas on how we can measure the impact output of the companies that we had invested in. So moving on to talk more about kind of the solution and in business of ESG, you know, we've seen in developed markets like the US and the EU, institutional investors are increasingly seeing a mandate to follow best practices in the context of ESG. Uh, and this often includes uh, measures of capital allocation. Uh, in fact, when the IFC had backed us, you know, there is a whole list of screening measures that we also have to conform to in, as we evaluate companies. Now, in places like Indonesia, uh, ESG or confirmation to ESG is something of a wild frontier. So could you talk to us a bit about some of the key differences that you see in how we approach ESG and developing markets like Indonesia and more developed markets around the world? Yeah, I, I guess one of the main differences between a more developed market and that of Indonesia is predominantly regulation. Having things be regulated and having specific measurements on how you report and what you report is a big game changer. I think that Indonesia is in, in the very infancy stage of ESG and reporting. So as they look to more developed markets that have better metrics and better reporting mechanisms, they can kind of look at what's working and what's not. I think Europe is definitely the leading leading the charge when it comes to ESG compliance and ESG reporting. So systems that we we will look into and use at AC Ventures are very much at the global standard for what European countries are are using. And you know, when it comes to kind of foreign institutional investors coming into emerging markets like Indonesia, you're amongst elevating the way we report and you know, conforming to regulations. You know, what do you think might be some of the other things that we need to be on the lookout for? What boxes we need to tick for them? Yeah, I think that most of these institutional investors have their pretty straightforward frameworks and exclusion lists. So I think if we can go above and beyond what's expected in terms of the exclusions and the, the basic framework for the requirements, I think that it will give an opportunity to be able to attract more institutional capital for these types of investments. Thanks. Now, um, talking about data, you know, there can be a wide variety of data that we can collect to measure ESG. Uh, and it's not always easy to get hold of that data. You know, what have you seen as seem to be some of the most important types of data we can obtain? And you know, especially from the viewpoint of being a tech investor, how you know, can we measure that data better so that it helps provide the type of information that we need to report back to about the positive impacts of ESG? Yes, I think that the the main focus is to look at our portfolio of companies that we're investing in and, and look at the products and services that they offer based per company. From there, it gets kind of separated into a few different spaces between your E, your S, and your G. So the, the driving factors on any type of impact that we can report should be based off of products and services. And whilst compliance and, and policy are extremely important, 
we need to also have the data for the social and the environmental side to really come up with a quantifiable uh, metric for each portfolio company. Yeah. And, you know, I think when it comes to ESG, sometimes, you know, unless you're you're properly trained and educated about ESG, then the definition, you know, to the layman could be quite narrow. Uh, Obviously, there are many different aspects of ESG which can contribute to the positive impact. Now, uh, I think uh, we're one of the first to have uh, created net impact assessments for a venture portfolio in Indonesia. But, you know, in Doing these uh, net impact assessments across our portfolio, can you talk about some interesting examples from our portfolio and how they are creating positive impact for Indonesia? One of the main main reasons uh, to do net impact assessments is to really understand and create a baseline for each company. And whilst you create that baseline, you're able to see where the company lies in terms of their their E, their S, and their G. So naturally, if we if we look at our portfolio that's mostly focused around tech, they have very, very high ratings on the social component. They're creating a lot of jobs. There's a lot of socioeconomics that go that go into it. There's a lot of health uh, benefits, health and wellness benefits that are coming out of certain agri-tech businesses. There's a lot of knowledge distribution coming out of the edutech spaces. So I think that with the underlining tone of tech, there's a lot of impact that's being had. It's just about communicating and measuring that impact to be able to understand what impact each portfolio company is having, to be able to communicate those impact factors to the LPs or to the portfolios or to the the greater audience that the portfolio companies are speaking with. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think it's important you mentioned narrative because sometimes companies which, you know, on, you know, which you would think would be, you know, on this and, and are actually uh, very positive impact companies because of certain categories, they could actually be perceived as negative. And one, you know, one of the companies I'm thinking about in our portfolio is Aruna. And, you know, we know that Aruna, you know, because it's in the category of fishing, you know, it can be a little sensitive. But if you actually look at the data and you uncover truly what the company is doing, clearly there's a very strong positive impact. So you know, can you talk a bit about you know, how can we help this company uh, in, you know, improve the narrative so they can really show the world the good that they're doing? Yeah, so I, I think that having the, the baseline assessment completed, you're able to see where the company is excelling and where the company needs work. And then you look at where the company needs work and then come up with solutions on how to get there. How, how do we create a strategy over the next you know, 6, 12, 24 months and put into place how they can get there? So I think that when people think of, of fisheries, you know, they have this perception in their head. But then if you go and you dive into Aruna a bit further, you actually see that their operations are very, very sustainable. You know, they, they're, they're implementing solar at a lot of their operations, their, their fish Fishing boats are quite small. The way that they do their operations, they have different waste streams in the way that they're managing their waste. So from an operational perspective, they're going well above and beyond what is, is expected within that industry. Thanks for sharing that, Lauren. So you know, moving on, you know, I'd love if you could share your approach to ESG formation. You know, if you will, our playbook at AC Ventures for implementing ESG. You know, we saw your success in implementing a strategy at Potato Head Group and would love to have you share ESG charge that you are leading here at 
AC Ventures too. Yeah, so the main thing that I wanted to bring to the table to get started at AC Ventures is to do these net impact assessments so that we really do have a baseline of our portfolio companies so we can look at how they're doing doing from a positive or a, a negative perspective, but also just looking at it from the perspective of how can we mitigate the risk or how can we change certain areas or certain strategies that help them improve certain spaces. So for for a example, if we have a company that we're working with that has a lot of logistics, is there ways to mitigate those logistics by having different storage facilities or expanding the different strategy for that business, or also even looking at some sort of reverse logistics where you don't have the carbon emissions coming on the backside of empty deliveries. I think another really interesting opportunity working within a portfolio is also looking at the, the, the overlaps between the companies on how could some of these companies actually work together that have a positive gain in terms of things that one side is doing really great, but could be doing better or vice versa and how they can partner up together and have an overall uh, much more positive impact. Thanks. And, you know, we recently had a conversation with another portfolio company of ours, Eden Farm, you know, which in some ways is a parallel to Aruna, but we're focusing on upstream farmers versus fisheries. Now, you know, with this company, you know, I think, um, think of them having some positive impact the way that they're imparting knowledge to, you know, the farmers and also being able to bring produce more effectively to you know, the end consumer. Uh, but what were some of the strategies that we discussed in you know, that meeting with them on ways that they can reduce any of the negative uh, parts of the ESG measurement and enhance further the positive parts of what they're doing in their business? Yeah, I think, you know, based on the conversation that we had with Eden Farms, I mean, their their net impact assessment score is very high, but speaking with them about the, the areas um, where they could improve, it's mostly focused on, 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 on a very small, minor things that they can do, setting up refrigerators at a lot of their uh, spaces where they only need to do logistics twice a week, removing all of the single-use plastic from any sort of deliveries, which will bring down their waste component to just about uh, zero waste. So they currently have zero waste from a food perspective. So it, when you reduce their logistics, it's going to bring down their carbon footprint by about 70%, which is a very large number. Um, so just being able to understand and have these baseline assessments or net impact assessments allows us to help uh, advise our portfolio companies, but also work with our portfolio companies on how they can create the strategy to get to where they want to be, whether that be short term or long term. Thanks. And, you know, I think that, you know, the benefit of us being able to look into a number of portfolio companies and, you know, in some ways create that playbook is once we have a playbook established, we actually have ways that we can scale. We have content, we have uh, strategies that can scale across our portfolio and they can be looking at all of these methodologies in which they can reduce their you know, carbon footprint and also increase the positive impact of what they're doing in the market. So you know, moving on to a bit of our market insights, uh, I'd like to dive into some of the details of sustainability and impact measurement further. So you know, not all tech startups are created equal in the context of environmental impact. But what would you consider you know, for founders, if you were to offer some advice to founders of what is a North Star metric 
for ESG compliance. What would that what would that be? I, I think for a lot of the founders, because sustainability or ESG or or any any type of environmental component, maybe aside from a few of our companies, it's it's not the core part of their business. So getting them to just understand what it is that their business is, is doing and how that business affects the social or the environmental impact, and then helping them understand where they're at today and and get a better understanding of of how and why and where they want to go to help them kind of create that North Star goal. And just to kind of focus on this North Star goal, you know, when we're looking at a financial investment standpoint, it's easy to pick up on number of users, see unit economics, revenue, and so on as that North Star metric. But from an ESG standpoint, it will probably differ from company. But if you could share what might be the specific metrics that we would look at or ask portfolio companies to consider uh, to measure the continued progress of their of their ESG practices. Yeah, so I think on on like ENS, if we just look, focus on those, you have the amount of employees, you have the amount of users, you have the number of socioeconomic numbers that have changed because of your platform. Um, on the environmental side, it's measuring your scope one, two, and three emissions. I think one of the biggest things is you know, the, the scope three emissions or the, the indirect uh, carbon footprint that businesses have that isn't necessarily owned by their platform, but a byproduct of their services. So understanding all of these different different areas allows us to capture the data and be able to advise the portfolio companies on where they're at and how they could improve or what they're doing really, really well. Thanks. And so, you know, one of the things that we're doing, we're just... Uh starting some integration and implementation of this now is reporting metrics from the portfolio companies that fall you know that flow into our uh, net impacts assessments and you know our ESG reporting uh, you know, could you talk a bit about what are what are the best ways that we can use this uh, data for sending back to our investors or what are the ways that we can take this data and you know report on the progress that a particular portfolio company is doing or our portfolio of companies is doing for uh, impact in Indonesia? So now having done the the net impact assessments across the portfolio, we have a baseline. So we know where we stand as of today. So having that number allows us to be able to report back what impact we're having on the specific categories, but it also allows us to monitor our, our progress. So we know where we are today. We will know where we are in a year, but between now and a year, we have time to work with our portfolio companies to help them improve if there's progress to be made. And I think when you're talking about ESG, there's there's always progress to be made and, and you can always do a bit better. So having a baseline allows us to know where we're at and know what impact we're having. And having that baseline also allows us to be able to monitor moving forward. Without a baseline, you're kind of just making assumptions on, on, on what we think. Without having any sort of baseline, it's really hard to pinpoint how we can get better. Right. And, you know, we, you know, one of the things that you've also spent some time working on and, you know, we hope to be publishing in the near future is, you know, Indonesia's first sustainability report that really focuses, zeroes in on the impact of technology startups on ESG. And as you mentioned, 
establishing a baseline or an index that we can visit year to year to see the continued progress of technology companies on impact in Indonesia, I think will be a very exciting measure to follow. Yeah, um, having any type of benchmark for ourselves, but also to, to share with the industry in general, allows for other companies as well as other portfolio companies to have some sort of benchmark to, to work from. I, I think being able to measure impact across Indonesia um, as a whole, and then as, as our own portfolio is going to really showcase the impact that Indonesia is having within the tech space. Great. Thank you, Lauren. So you know, let's uh, you know, think about the future uh, as well and where we are going with all of this. So can you talk about where do you see ESG going in the context of technology in our region? And can you identify you know, two or three linchpins that, if pulled correctly, could lead to a windfall of ESG compliance in uh, Southeast Asia? I think one of the, the the biggest things that everyone's kind of looking at, and, and lo- especially looking to Indonesia, is on uh, the voluntary carbon market. I think that's something that everyone's kind of waiting for and and looking at. So I think once Indonesia sets some sort of regulations for a voluntary carbon market and implements um, a, a bit more mandate on reporting, I think those are two areas that are just going to really put Indonesia in the in the forefront. For us as a, as a portfolio, having this data prior to any type of regulations or working with our portfolio companies on their baseline, on their net impact assessment, understanding what data they need to keep track of and how they report that is just going to put them so far ahead. So when the rela- regulation and policies are in place, it's going to be something that's already part of their everyday practices versus a lot of other companies that are going to have to be playing catch up and, and trying to pull data that they don't even know that they need to measure. That's great. And you know, do you think you know, in doing so, you know, can we put Indonesia at the forefront of you know, how ESG is, you know, how the implementation and strategies for ESG, how it's measured, how it's implemented, can really become an example for other developing nations in, in the world? For sure. I think that given the the scope and the given the scope and, and what we're trying to show and how we're trying to show it with measuring impact ver- in, in the in the tech space, which I think is just on the forefront of everybody's minds having that data and that benchmark and those baselines is just going to allow our neighboring countries to be able to implement similar policies. Well, thanks again, Lauren, for joining us today and sharing your valuable experience. We're really excited to see the implementation of the strategy and the playbook that you are putting in place at uh, AC Ventures, uh, as well as the impact that all of our portfolio companies are going to have on the ESG front under your leadership. Thanks again for sharing your experience today. And we look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be able to share some insight and and help the portfolio companies move forward on their ESG strategies. Mm